Hello, I am Joel McLeod. And I'm Roland Tanner. And welcome to the 905er. If you're like me, your head must be spinning with how many times the Ontario government has found a way to upset different segments of the population. For a while there, it seemed that our schools would be shut down due to strike action. We seem to be having an ongoing crisis of ER and ICUs being shut down due to chronic understaffing, resulting in a question of confidence in our entire healthcare system. The most recent controversy, though, is the blatant about-face Doug Ford and his government has done on building in the Greenbelt. Despite assurances and a very public promise that he would explicitly not touch the Greenbelt in any way, it seems that promise wasn't even worth the time of day. As the Ontario government is introducing Bill 23, the More Homes Built Faster Act, which would move the Greenbelt, opening up 7,400 acres for development. And all of this under the pretense of needing to build 1.5 million new homes. Critics of the bill have highlighted that the province's own housing task force last year did not recommend this move and cited numerous areas for redevelopment or brand new development all within existing municipal boundaries. So who is opposing this blatant land grab by the Ontario government on behalf of developers? Well, one organization is the Ontario Greenbelt Alliance. And as it says in the title, it's an alliance of environmental groups such as Environmental Defense, Environment Hamilton, Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, to name a few. Seriously, go check out their website. It'll be in our show notes to see them all. It's quite a list of groups from all across the province. From the group, we invited on Franz Hartman from the Alliance to talk with us about their concerns and opposition to this bill and what is really driving the Doug Ford government's land grab. Well, welcome, Franz Hartman uh, from the Ontario Greenbelt Alliance to the 905 podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So uh, probably the best thing to just get us started is uh, give us a quick um, uh, explanation of what the Ontario Greenbelt Alliance is and uh, how it came into being. Sure. The uh, Ontario Greenbelt Alliance has been around, well, since before 2005. It's really a group of organizations and individuals who care about uh, protecting, preserving, and uh, growing the Greenbelt. And and when you say members, I mean, it's a pretty impressive uh, list of members. And the members are organizations in, in their own own right. Uh, I mean, just just looking at your website here, you've got uh, Green Durham, Greenpeace Canada, Grand River Environmental Network. I'm just going through the G's as you can yep. hear. Here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's, um, it's a great a great group, uh, great network. Um, we have really really small groups that are perhaps in the northwestern part of the Greater Golden Horseshoe, like a, a watershed group, uh, all the way to really large organizations like Environmental Defense Canada. And groups in between, uh, Environment Hamilton is uh, is part of this. In fact, uh, Linda Lukasik, our, our the executive director of Environment Hamilton, she's on our steering committee. So it's uh, it's people and organizations who care about the green belt and care about the issues that are related to the green belt. And obviously, you know, the, the reason we've, we've we wanted to speak to you right now is because of the the announcement by the provincial government that they. Uh, well, let's try and use their 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 explanation. Is they're they're not they're going to move 
sections of the green belt somewhere else. Um, and uh, something that we've talked about on this podcast is, is kind of the need for uh, all the very, you know, the, the, the many environmental groups uh, to kind of cooperate in a similar way that the, the say the unions did recently with regard to the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the uh, education workers um, strike. Um, uh, it, it is, do you, do you feel that, um, well, first of all, what was, what was your reaction to the, to, to the announcement from the provincial government? Um, sadness, disappointment, um, uh, a bit of frustration, uh, because it's completely unnecessary. Um, they wanted to, the province announced their intention to take 7,400 acres of prime agricultural land and natural areas, watersheds, et cetera, out of the green belt. And their justification is, well, we needed to build 50,000 units of, of housing. Well, they don't need it. Uh, there is more than enough land. There's more than enough land in existing um, uh, cities and towns, uh, you know, with proper, uh, uh, you know, taking spaces in neighborhoods across the greater Golden Horseshoe, which are, you know, not being used properly. Um, you know, empty lots, um, main streets, getting rid of uh, or replacing two-story buildings with uh, with you know, European-style six, seven, eight-story buildings. There's more than enough room there. And then on top of that, uh, on top of that, there is already land that has been designated uh, so-called greenfield, you know, farmland and natural areas that has already been designated for development. Um, and uh, there's so-called so white belt, and there's over 88,000 acres that's been set aside. So there's a huge amount of land that has been des designated for development. So why um, would the province say, well, we're going to take these 7,400 acres out of the green belt? And I mean, I've got, a, I've got an answer to the why, but uh, it's not necessary. Um, and the, the government is not telling the truth about why it's taking the land out. Um, you know, this has been a, a, a very contentious issue over the last um, uh, number of years. It, you know, we've had uh, debates in Halton, uh, in, in Peel, and definitely in Hamilton, uh, very recently in Hamilton, like actual municipal votes on whether to expand into the green belt or to, to further expand uh, development into these sensitive areas of, of the environment. And I wonder maybe if you can con comment on that, that, you know, there's been a very clear democratic voice from the people in these communities saying, we don't want to encroach on these lands. We want to avoid that as much as possible. Yet the province seems to be saying, we're going to ignore that, that decision by these elected bodies uh, in favor of this, this move. Do you want, can you comment a bit on that from your perspective as a grassroots organization? Sure, absolutely. And um, so, and, and I should just preface all of these comments by saying I'm just speaking on my behalf, not on behalf of the Ontario Greenbelt Alliance. Uh, but I'm, I'm fairly confident most of the organizations that are part of the OGA would, would agree with this. I, I want to go back a step. And I, first of all, I agree that it's being very undemocratic what the province is proposing. But I want to go back a step and just, you know, get to the basics. We have a housing crisis. There's no doubt about that. There are uh, not enough affordable homes out there on the market for people. And uh, as importantly, there are not the proper choices of housing types of dwellings, right? Not everybody wants to live in suburbia. In fact, uh, there is a, a, a lot of evidence that suggests younger people 
um, who are probably uh, just beginning their their working careers and older people who are retiring, they don't they want to live in in existing communities where there's infrastructure, where there's transit, where they can walk to you know the local uh, pharmacy, where they can walk to the doctor's office, et cetera. They don't want to live in suburbia or urban sprawl. And so the market is actually saying people are 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 saying we want to live in in uh, in built up urban areas, um, and that ref was reflected in what the city of Hamilton did um, back, uh, a few months ago when they were updating their uh, um, uh, official plan. And they, uh, I don't know if it was a unanimous vote, but it was pretty damn close saying, we do not want to uh, increase our, what's called our urban boundary, right? We don't want to bring new lands into the urban boundary. We want the, um, we want all of the new housing to be built in land that's already been designated. For the province to then come around, turn around and say, A, we're going to ignore what the market is demanding that more housing gets built in the urban core. And then B, we're going to ignore what uh, municipal elected officials or governments have done is a real slap in the face of democracy. Um, and I think it's going to come back to haunt them. And you said um, a few minutes ago, is it, well, you have an idea about why. What's, what's the why? Is it just simply the developers of the people with the money and they're the people who donate to the, to the PC party? Or is there more to it than that? Well, I think it's um, uh, uh, part of the answer lies in what's happened in Waterloo Region, which I know is a bit outside of your uh, uh, of your listenership. But um, in, in Waterloo Region, a, a former city planner spoke to a uh, regional um, c a council committee last week, and he um, uh, presented some very interesting statistics. He noted that in the region of Waterloo, since 2006, almost 20,000 permits have been given to the development industry to build dwelling units, homes. And these are anything from single family homes to, you know, uh, multifamily homes to apartment buildings, etc. So since 2006, almost 20,000 permits have been given. However, only 1,700 or on average, about 9% of those permits have actually been used, have been built on. In other words, the development industry in Waterloo region had the opportunity to build 20,000 homes since 2006, but they've only built 9,000. So that to me is a clue about what's going on. Um, and it's not about uh, the, the, the reason that um, housing and homes aren't being built isn't because the there isn't enough land. We know there's more than enough land. And it isn't because of municipal um, uh, uh, red tape or whatever. It's because this is what the development industry does. They have developed a business model that um, builds housing at a rate that maximizes their profits. And key to that business model is, or key to, to the whole development stuff is our land speculators. These are people, these are businesses who buy land um, usually from farmers or that are at a, at a at, you know, they don't pay a lot. And then some sort of zoning change happens. And as a result of that zoning change, the land value just, you know, dramatically increases. And we know from, uh, from media accounts that there was a bunch of land that was, uh, that is in the green belt, um, that has now, uh, that is, uh, uh, you know, bought by, by developers or by land speculators. And by, by getting rid of the Greenbelt protection, 
that land will be zoned for housing and will be dramatically uh, 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 more valuable and will make a huge amount of money. So bottom line, by taking 7,400 acres out of the Greenbelt, the owners of that land make a huge, huge profit. And um, the question is, did those land developers or those land speculators uh, donate to the to the Conservative Party? I don't know. Well, I, I, I'd actually just, yeah, I'll add in a point on top of that. I mean, I think that's an absolutely crucial point. And it's something that I've been aware of for years and it's just becoming so much more blatant now. And, and, and I'm glad you mentioned it because it's not something that generally comes up in these discussions of why the green belt needs to be protected. Um, and um, yeah, for, first of all, I mean, the, the, I mean, uh, the, the city I'm most familiar with uh, was uh, especially Burlington. Uh, um, uh, and I know that all the, you know, every single piece of land downtown, non-downtown, whatever, that is available to be developed is already owned by developers, has been for, if not a decade, then decades, plural. Um, and, uh, you know, it's owned by major development companies, it's owned by, uh, like you say, land speculators. Um, and, and in some cases, there are, there are pieces of land that were zoned for... Um, I think of one piece of land in particular, which was included in, in the recent announcement um, that was zoned for uh, commercial use. And the owner, I won't mention their name, but uh, the, the owner of that piece of land is a prominent donor to the local conservatives and has long wanted to have that converted to residential. And the city would not do that. And there's good reasons why they didn't want to convert that to residential because there's a shortage of commercial land in Burlington. And you know, if we want to employ people, we want to have places where people can work. You don't want just to be this residential dormitory town. Um, so the connection between that company and the and the conservatives is 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 open for all to see. The long history of donating. Um, and uh, hey presto, this piece of land has now been uh, changed to uh, residential zoning. Uh, which means that you can put houses on it, whatever. It's one of the few pieces of green space actually within the boundaries of the city of Burlington. Uh, so yeah, th this is absolutely what has been going on, and um, it, uh, you know, <laughs> the sheer, you know, the, the the bigger point that everything is already owned by developers. Uh, you know, unless they're currently buying it to begin speculating on it, you know, they're, they're buying land. That is zoned never to be built on. Well, why would you do that unless you believe you can sway the government to open it up for you? Um, it, you know, we saw this with the Highway 413 as well, I believe. Now, this is a very non-journalistic -journal kind of uh, rant that I'm going on here, <laughs> but um, it, it, I just want to sort of drive it home to people. Just you know that the exactly how this works. And I, I think you, you you've really set it out in a very interesting way there with the sheer numbers that are going on in Waterloo. Um, there's no question mark at the end of that statement, um, but is there anything else you, you want to sort of add on that point? Well, I, I think that the key thing to add on is it doesn't have to be this way. Um, you know, the, there are developers in the Greater Golden Horseshoe, in particular, uh, in, including in, in Waterloo region, that are actually making money uh, doing really good development, uh, building the sort of housing 
that uh, that younger people and older people want. Uh, I don't know how many of your listeners have gone to uh, to downtown Kitchener, downtown Waterloo recently. Uh, Waterloo's my hometown, so I get back there fairly regularly, and it's utterly transformed. It's slowly but surely becoming um, like a European style city, which is beautiful. People can walk, etc. There's uh, people live close to where they work and where they shop and where they play. Um, this can all be done. And there are some developers who actually have figured out, okay, we can make money off of this. Um, and they're the ones that should be supported, right? Um, and it's, by supported, I don't mean where public dollars have to go into their hands because they're making good, decent profits. Um, but that uh, regulations and rules, there's something called Bill 23 that uh, some of your listeners will have heard about. Bill 23 is a essentially dropping an atomic bomb on the planning process in Ontario and the uh, environmental protection process and just completely upsetting it. It is, um, it's opening up uh, developers who make money off of sprawl style development at the expense of developers who want to build, you know, appropriate housing. But the other key thing to keep in mind is that uh, many of your listeners will rightly be concerned with the affordability issue. Uh, it's one thing saying, okay, I've got choices of going into a condo or a or a you know three bedroom above a above a main street, but there are many of your listeners who probably you know are having very difficult time making ends meet. The reality is, we have spent the last thirty years hoping, praying that somehow or another the development industry, the private sector development industry, is going to build affordable housing, and they haven't. They just you know that's why we're in this affordability crisis, mm -hmm. and it's time again for all levels of government to come together like they did in the 1970s, and say, okay, we're going to become, quote, developers. We're going to invest money, hire on um, construction companies to build truly affordable housing, and then um, let them be run by not-for-profits like housing co-ops. We have housing co-ops across Ontario and Canada that have been providing really good affordable housing for a long time. It's time that we get that uh, government back involved in developing and building affordable housing. If nothing else, doing that will actually create competition, which doesn't exist right now with other developers, to force, um, to force developers to go, you know what, maybe we better be a bit more, if we want to tap into this affordability thing, we're going to mm -hmm. have to, at least the higher end of it, um, may, maybe we better we better offer more more um, more affordable units. So, good. yeah, the good news is there are lots of solutions about how we can do things better. It requires all of it requires the provincial government to stop um, creating or dis destroying the laws that that uh, allow good development to happen um, and stop the the, the provincial government from favoring, you know, sprawl type development, which has been devastating to the environment and to people's pocketbooks. Well, on that note, the, the one thing that we, if you read into this issue of uh, development in the housing crisis as, as it stands right now, it just seems that our, our options to buy new housing in this market-driven solution is, uh, as I said in a previous podcast, like your McMansion, cookie cutter homes, right? Like the, those gigantic homes that, gonna, that are going to cost you a million, 1.5 or $2 million or some tiny one bedroom condo in, in a, you know, a 30 story tower. And, you know, there's a, there seems to me like there's a big gap there between different styles of, uh, 
of housing. Like it's not even a market, right? Like that's not a market. Those are two, that's two styles of housing. But what, what about the, the family in between? Right. Yeah. And, and, and it's just, you know, we may, I wonder if you could just get us some insight in terms of like, why do you think that that is like, we, we're talking about a market driven solution to the housing crisis yet the market doesn't seem to be providing a variety of solutions to, or, or to, to meet customer demands. Not everybody wants to live in those two options of, uh, of homes. Yeah. Uh, b- before I touch that, Joel, uh, about what, what in the planning community, they call that the missing middle. I just wanted right. for, for all your listeners, just to bring this back to the green belt for just a moment. The reason this is all so important is that uh, we know that there's going to be more people moving into, into Ontario and Southern Ontario, and we need to find a place for them to live. And, uh, we need to protect the greenbelt. We need to protect the, the local farmers who are growing our food and who we're going to rely on increasingly as we've got uh, uh, droughts in other parts of the world. And we need the greenbelt because that's where natural areas are that provide incredibly important ecological services like carbon sequestration and flood mitigation. And as the climate crisis worsens, the greenbelt will become increasingly important. So we don't want to develop on it. And that's why we're talking about this. The good news is building missing middle is not just good for the green belt. It's also good for, for our lifestyles. You know, this is where people want to live. And why isn't that missing middle being built? Again, it comes down to there right now. We don't really have a true market when it comes to housing options. As you rightly point out, you know, the developers that dominate the, uh, the housing industry, they offer us, you know, um, as you said, McMansions out in, in, in sprawl neighborhoods where you're forced to drive or you're forced to have two cars, which makes that unaffordable, or you're stuck in a small, uh, you know, uh, a stamp size condo at the, on the 40th floor. Um, the, the developers who do want to build the two, three, four bedroom homes, um, uh, people who want to build uh, garden suites or laneway houses, so on and so forth, um, they're, uh, the, the province is doing them no favors by taking land out of the green belt unnecessary and blowing up the planning process that Bill 23 does. Um, if anything, those are making these more difficult. Um, and what the province needs to do is make it easier for, for municipalities like Hamilton that was ready to go and do more infill, build more Paris-style main streets, etc., and frankly, the only way that's going to happen is if your listeners um, uh, and if, if Ontarians, they have to call their MPPs and they have to have, you know, say to them. And if, if the MPP happens to be a member of the government, progressive conservative, um, even better and say, stop grabbing land, you know, hands off the green belt and 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 stop Bill 23 and instead focus on building affordable um, uh, di- uh, diverse housing types in in uh, where where people already live, and if if enough Ontarians um, get that message to their elected officials, um, you know we've seen what Premier Ford does when when the unions got together <laughs> against the his use of the notwithstanding clause. We can do the same thing if we get together and tell them to keep the hands off the green belt and build affordable housing, good housing in places where we live. It is and in terms of the, the, what the Ontario Green Belt Alliance is doing. I mean, is that is is, is that the only thing that, that we can do is write write letters? Because I mean, uh, having been on the other side of the equation to a certain degree, I know that letter writing campaigns to MPPs do work. I mean, they are important 
it depends to an extent what the subject is and who it is writing the letter. Um, like if you're a voter who they think might vote for them, they'll read the letter much more carefully than if you're a voter they think already is not going to vote for them, if you follow my sort of drift. Absolutely. Yeah. But nevertheless, it is absolutely an, one of the most powerful things that you can do. But is there more? I mean, is there is there the kind of um, public uh, level of action or demonstration that that can really kind of grab headlines and, and make it clear to this government that this is not acceptable? There, there are a lot of things that people can do depending on how engaged they want to get. Um, the Ontario Greenbelt Alliance website has a, kind of an action page. It includes a whole bunch of suggestions about what people can do to um, send a clear signal to the provincial government. Uh, that the Greenbelt land grab, grab is unacceptable. Um, there are also other groups. Um, there's a, a, a network called Yours to Protect. They're doing a whole bunch of actions uh, this week and over the, in the coming weeks. Uh, and, you know, people can go there. In fact, you just, you know, Google Greenbelt protection or, uh, and, and lots of things will come up. But I think key to this, to be honest, is um, uh, for, for all of your listeners who, who care about this, is yes, the number one thing is contact your MPP. Um, the number two thing I would say is talk to your friends, use your social media um, channels uh, to, to talk about these things and to educate those uh, and or just to bring this up. One of the things that we have to do is we have to get um, uh, get more and more in the public to understand there are actual doable solutions and the framing, the way in which the government and the development industry, or at least the sprawl-loving um, uh, development industry, or the development industry that makes money off of sprawl, we have to challenge their understanding, their diagnosis, and their solutions, because they're not working. They're not working for us. They're working for their shareholders, but they're not working for the rest of us. So we have to connect with as many people as we can and uh, let them know there are better ways of doing it, ways that will solve a whole bunch of problems. And then the final thing is that municipalities, um, elected officials, new councillors, new mayors, they play an important role in all of this because their actions, um, you know, municipal governments have to kind of enact the, 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 the zoning realities or, the, or the, the, the zoning. They're the ones that decide whether or not something gets built. Talk to your local um, councillors. Let them know you are against them. Ask them, what can you as a local council do to oppose um, more sprawl, and uh, they will have answers. Bottom line is, our elected officials need to hear from us that we're against this. And the more of us that uh, that uh, call and contact our elected officials, the more likely they're going to stop doing these uh, bad things. Um, on the the talk of of grassroots mobilization is something that I mean, and in. in Recent years, I have not I have not seen the kind of grassroots mobilization I've seen in the re recently against this uh, provincial government. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm wondering, you know, you're you're on the grassroots, you're on the front line. You know, are you are you seeing a different attitude towards protests or towards towards political action at that level? Uh, you know, especially since we recently saw uh, QP and and the unions kind of take this this government to task over the use of the notwithstanding clause, you know, how, how has that kind of framed your actions or your, your motivations going forward to, to preserve the green belt? Um, 
and 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 getting your message across in light of you know right now there's there's again focus on the collapse of the healthcare system uh, happening with this government. You know how 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 do you how do you work within that cacophony of political action? Um, it's a good question. Well, I think what what happened with the um, uh, with the QP educational workers, uh, that was that was an incredible moment in in uh, Ontario activist history uh, for the uh, for the premier to kind of back down, essentially completely reverse course. That was, uh, if not unprecedented, it happens very rarely. So I think that that was a good shot in the arm to those of us who are upset with how the provincial government is um, is is behaving. You know, it's like, yeah, we can change things. Um, Activism, I think, if, in, in my uh, perspective on this, and I've been an activist in various ways for well over 30 years now, I think there is a change in that groups and sectors, um, kind of stakeholder sectors, if you will, who aren't, haven't traditionally worked together um, are beginning to understand that they... Um, the solutions they're advocating are actually very similar. And that means that they're beginning to see the benefits of working together and collaborating instead of working in silos. And um, I'm beginning to see that the uh, Ontario Greenbelt Alliance is a perfect example of that. There are um, uh, members are from, we've got members from the agricultural sector, from the environment sector, which in the past were, were seen as, as opposing uh, each other. Um, we, we now have very healthy, good working relationships with many um, uh, stakeholders from the agricultural sector because we all realize the importance of keeping agricultural land. That is happening also with um, on, on a broader scale. Um, there are groups that are working together that have never worked together before. And I think that comes from a, just an acknowledgement that we're better together. We're, we're more effective when we collaborate and um, we, we work together, especially if we focus on the same set of solutions. And the good news is that most of the solutions that we need to deal with the affordable housing crisis, the middle missing middle housing crisis, climate resilience, building healthier towns, um, reducing costs to um, you know the cost of living to people. They all have to do with how we design the places we live in. And if we can get the principles, the design principles right, you know what? We're going to solve all those problems simultaneously. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're very much seeing from 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 my well, from our song sheet to an extent. And not only that, the, I felt for a long time, and I was involved a few years ago with a group that was, it was branded, I think, unfairly, usually unfairly, uh, as actually a bit of a NIMBY group, um, because it was it, it grew out of uh, an organisation that had uh, been a reaction to a particular high-rise development in Burlington. It became more of that, and it doesn't exist anymore. But uh, but the the thing I felt was that you know there was an actually a lot of ultimately it was about local democracy being respected and it was about development being done right whether that is being done right in not sprawling or being done right in 
that missing middle that, that we were talking about in in the complete sort of absence of a missing middle in the in the in in Ontario, basically, or you know, in North America to a large extent, in how we build our cities. Um, and so it's like, well, you know, we 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 got a lot of stick from people who were like, well, we can't sprawl, so therefore we have to go up. Um, and I always felt that was an oversimplification. It's like, no, we have a lot in common. Uh, we can actually, you know, now that group doesn't exist anymore. Um, but the uh, but the point I think is a really important one that there are ways to sort of bring so many people together now. And perhaps, you know, we really need to do it. And the other thing is the cities themselves need to come together. That the traditional way in which the provincial government works with uh, uh, municipalities is a kind of divide and rule approach. Um, and that the, the municipalities fall for it every time, um, that they'll take a ministerial, ministerial zoning order, they'll even ask for ministerial zoning orders, which undermine their authority if it means that they get something that they want. Um, it's like, no, you have to stop doing this. You have to start sticking up together. And, and collectively, you have a lot of power. And the one thing that we do know about Doug Ford is that he will back down and put under pressure. We saw that with QP. Uh, we saw it with uh, plans for uh, amalgamation back in 2019. So it's, uh, you know, this is a premier who will, um, put it most charitably, who will listen to <laughs> opposition when it's vocal enough. Um, again, another statement without a question mark. At sure, the end, but, but, <laughs> I, I, but I will. I think you, you said something important that I just want to briefly comment on. Um, I think we have to acknowledge there are people who live within, um, you know, our towns and cities um, who, uh, and I would say mostly they're people who live in single family um, homes and who live in neighborhoods with predominantly single family homes who um, are opposed to almost any type of development. And, and part of it, I get it. You know, we're, we're creatures of habit. We don't like change. Um, that's generally how human beings work. Um, and there's a lot of fear and misunderstanding um, by this group of people when someone comes in and says, hey, we want to build some missing middle stuff. It's like, no, 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 no. Um, it's, it's, it's not a good idea. Um, and I think those it, we need to acknowledge that that exists um, and we need to figure out, well, how are we, gonna, how are we going to demystify and, uh, and undo that uh, or, or allow those people to say, you know what, change is actually going to help you. And I think there are ways of doing that. And again, I know in Waterloo region, they were really, really good at and transforming NIMBYs into YIMBYs, not in my backyard into yes in my backyard. And so we have to work with those people, but we have to do it in a way that says, you know what, um, uh, you don't get to, to throw a wrench in, the, in developing miss missing middle. But at the same time, we're going to acknowledge your concerns and we're going to give you an opportunity to engage, to have input, but we're going to build this stuff because we need to. This is where it needs to go. To go. Um, so, but that comes back to local democracy. It comes back to in engagement. We have to talk to each other and we have to find the principles and the values we all agree to and then figure out a way forward. That has to happen. It cannot be imposed nor should the province impose, you know, the, the current laws, you know, proposed laws, Bill 20 through grabbing land from the Greenbelt. That's the other, that's the other extreme that doesn't work. We have to find a middle ground where we can collectively work together to build uh, better communities. You know what? I think let's leave it at that for the, uh, the final word on this, uh, on this episode. Um, 
thank you very much, Franz, for for taking your time to join us today to to talk about this ongoing uh, issue. Um, and uh, we look forward to uh, to seeing what you and the Greenbelt Alliance uh, do next. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we, we the perfect, perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous or sexy. Catch us on, on the Dean Blundell Network or on our YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. Because, because democracy, democracy is, is something, something you do. do.